This is the High School Football America podcast for April the 22nd, 2020. I'm Jeff Fisher. The High School Football America podcast is brought to you by GameStrap, America's premier sideline instant replay system with outstanding reliability and customer service. Plus, they're priced right. Several different plans for every coach's budget. To get a demo, go to GameStrat.com or click on the GameStrat banner ad located on every page of HighSchoolFootballAmerica.com. Heading to Southern California right now, uh, during this time of uh, uncertainty, I thought it'd be a great time to bring in my good friend who I met uh, when we first moved to uh, Southern California to uh, Laguna Beach. I met him on the sidelines at uh, Orange Lutheran, and uh, Dr. Chris Couture's has become a dear friend and uh, full disclosure. He is also the uh, person that is uh, treating Trish Hoffman, my uh, my partner in crime, the uh, co-founder of High School Football America for her concussion. And uh, Dr. Couture's is just a great guy. Uh, I'm probably going to have some troubles <laughs> calling him Dr. Couture's rather than Chris, but Chris is just a, an awesome guy. Uh, a little bit about his resume. Uh, he's the, the team physician at Orange Lutheran, the great school in the Trinity League and uh, Northwood High School in Irvine. Plus, he is the uh, team physician for the U.S. men's national volleyball team and also uh, Cal State University Fullerton's interscholastic athletics. So uh, a great background. He does a lot to keep kids healthy and uh, also help them once they become unhealthy and they need his uh, his help to, to, to rehab and get back to things and just uh, think the world of this guy. And uh, like I said, so much uncertainty with the coronavirus, COVID-19, that we thought it'd be a good time for him to come on, uh, put it out in the Twitter sphere today uh, for some coaches out there and just people in general, whether it's a, a player or or um, a parent to uh, ask a question. So we've got several questions here that we'll be asking Chris. But for now, it's time to uh, welcome Dr. Chris Couture's to the show. Welcome to the show, Chris. It's great to be here, Jeff. Thanks to you and Trish for inviting me, for reconnecting, and for all you're doing for your listeners at this time to hear your familiar voice and your words of wisdom. It's comforting and glad to be part of that process. Well, we're glad to have you on here because I really respect what you do for student athletes out there, especially the ones that unfortunately may get injured, but also keeping them healthy. And uh, when I reached out, you know, I said, what are some of the questions you think we should have? And you really hit the one that was in my mind first. And I think it's in everybody's mind first and foremost, which is, okay, here we are, coronavirus, COVID-19, whatever you want to call it, and we're all shut down. And there's going to be a time when we're going to get back out there. But the question is, when are we going to get back out there? But more importantly, what has to be done when these state associations are looking at things? What do they have to consider when they make the decision of when they get us back to playing the games? You know, I think they have to look at society as a whole. Where are we with comfort level of bringing groups of people together? That could be a group of three, a group of 10, a group of 30. Where are we, first of all, with academics? Are we comfortable bringing kids back to the classroom in the same fashion? Are we getting kids back on campus at the collegiate or high school area? Where are we with the kids? You know, these kids have been home. Some are exercising. Some aren't. We're going to assume everybody's going to be somewhat deconditioned. So there's going to be a phase of familiarity, just getting familiar with how the kids are doing and the comfort level. So I expect it's probably going to be small groups at first. It's probably still going to be with social distancing. Heck, we might be exercising with masks. That's a possibility. Hmm. And then it's a stage-by-stage process. The challenge with football, it's a contact collision sport. It's an intimate sport. 
people close together. It takes a lot of folks to make it work. So those are variables that are going to probably make it a bit more challenging than, let's say, an individual sport like a cross-country runner or somebody who's in a pool. So we're going to get guides. I've kind of told my colleagues throughout all this that when I have to make a tough decision, if I wait a few hours, somebody who's probably above my pay grade will help make it for us. So (laughs) we're going to be looking to guidance from our public health authorities at the state, at the county, at the district level, and then move from there. Yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense. Dr. Chris Couture is on the line. Uh, we're going to talk a lot about uh, you know, not just football here. I mean, it's it's all sports, and I think you make a good point there about the type of sport. And something was brought up to me the other day by one coach, and I, I'd like to let you kind of address this. Um, I, we, we were talking specifically football, and he made such a great point. He said, you know, Jeff, um, where football is important, and this is just a football-specific question, where football is important, the, the Texases, the Floridas, the Southern Californias, the Pennsylvanias, the Ohios, um, there will probably be more of a push by the fan base and maybe even the, the state governing bodies versus the ones where, you know, the Wyomings of the world, maybe, and I'm not picking on Wyoming and Maine and all that, but you get my point here. Um, what would you say um, these state officials should be looking at when that push is going to come from the outside? Is that a fair question for you? It's a fair question. I think they've got to be looking again at society as a whole. On one hand, to be able to have a football game with the band, the cheerleaders, the community coming together, that's huge. That's a great emotional boost. It's a great way for people to feel like, hey, we've had these periods of isolation, but we're overcoming it. However, there's going to be a level of fear of, wait, do we really want to have that many people in one venue? And that may come from some of the fans and some of the players themselves not being comfortable. Do we want to allocate the resources, you know, the medical help, the police that often have to come? Are they going to be used elsewhere? So a lot of factors come to play. Uh, I've had a lot of people ask me, do you think we're going to see youth sports with no fans in the stands? Mm -hmm. That's a possibility, maybe to start because that reduces the number of people in one place at one time. So there has to be a look at how comfortable are we with several thousand people descending to one place, parking their cars, tailgating, coming into a stadium to watch an event? Makes makes total sense. Dr. Chris Couture is on the line. We're going to have some questions coming up that some of the uh, coaches around the country wrote into you uh, when we asked for it on Twitter this morning across our across our social media platform. And and you sort of touched upon this earlier when you talked about you know the kids being away at this point, whether it's you know scholastically or from the practice field. And uh, yet just yesterday, I had a young man in Central Pennsylvania works uh, lives on a farm and has been working out pushing hay bales around the place, which was kind of cool to see. He was being you know genius about it. He doesn't have any barbells or anything like that, but he's been working out and he's caught kind of a little national attention because of us. And my question is this for, for the kids out there, because, you know, everybody is being asked to be creative. All the coaches around the country are saying, hey, guys, you got to keep got to keep the grades up, but you also got to keep working out. What are some of the things you would tell the student athletes out there that are listening to this or the coaches so they can guide them about working out uh, in unique ways, whether it's, you know, uh, you know, lifting, you know, water or doing push-ups between chairs or whatever the uniqueness is. Do you have any suggestions on the best way to keep them healthy while doing that? Plus, you know, get themselves in shape or keep themselves in shape. Right. I think you want to look at things that are fun, things that they can do at home. Yes, we want kids to be outside as long as they're observing social distancing, that they're not congregating in groups. 
in some respects, look for just general athletic things. So if you're out and moving and you're working on your running technique and you're working on perhaps basic squat, jump, and leaping movements, that's going to be great. That's going to help you become a better athlete, be it a football player, a wrestler, or a lacrosse player. We have kids who are trying to improvise and making their own weight routines. I've seen kids do some amazing things with body weight activities. And if you have the option to work with one of your coaches, be it on a Zoom or other type of platform where you get the social benefit, that's amazing. That's probably a big thing for kids who aren't able to see each other face-to-face in these days. I think the big key, though, is I've been asking kids, what is something new you've been doing? It doesn't have to necessarily be a sport thing. Some kids have taken up baking. Some kids have taken up collecting things. And it's nice to hear that they're getting their minds and mm-hmm. their energy into a new venue. And for a lot of them, it's given them a glimmer of hope, a glimmer of some positivity in a really tough situation. So I'd be looking at basic movement patterns, basic strengthening, making it fun. There's and, and, enough negativity right now. Keep it fun. <laughs> yeah, I was great because there, there's kind of a two-part question, about, but I'll split it up and, and keep it on uh, the, the workout side of things. And, and this is something that's becoming more and more the norm. I know you're doing it. Telemedicine's a big thing nowadays. So let's say a young man does injure himself, uh, twist an ankle or whatever. Talk to the, the coaches and the parents and the kids that there are ways to see a doctor without going and exposing themselves. Tell them a little bit about how that may work with you when it would come to telemedicine medicine. What we've got now is the ability through secure and compliant platforms. It's like a Zoom call, except it's on a higher level where you've got the protections in place. It's where we can communicate with the family, both audio and visual. We can run through an evaluation. It's not quite as good as putting our hands on the patient, but maybe with a parent in the room, they can help us with some of those things. We can help make a diagnosis. We can help make a treatment plan. We can help decide if imaging is needed. I think most importantly, we can help kids get better. And even those kids who perhaps are still getting over an injury, it's been a couple months, they've been waiting to see somebody, they haven't had time up to now. Again, one of those glimmers of positive, take this opportunity, see one of your sports medicine specialists, get things looked at. Nothing worse than coming into the situation you've been injured. You leave it injured, nothing has really changed, you've already lost that time. So the more that we can connect and just to have that meeting sometimes gives the kids another face-to-face interaction, albeit on a computer screen, that helps their day. So we want to be available. We're just really appreciative of the chance to help young families at a pretty difficult time. Yeah, I mean, you know, the the great thing is technology, you know, has given us a, a little bit of a different situation from 100 years ago, and, and it's a good thing. Dr. Chris Coutures is on the line, and, and this is going to be a question that I'm going to ask because I'm ignorant about it, but it, it just dawned on me as we were kind of talking here a little bit. What about the kids that were injured? Let's say they had their, you know, they, they had their knee, you know, redone for whatever reason, torn ACL, whatever it may be, and the kids that were going into or were in the middle of rehab, are they still doing that? I mean, how is that working right now? Because you obviously can't do, you know, physical therapy. I guess when when you have you know have your trainer there and all that. What what's going on around the country? Are are, are doctors or physical therapists a- actually taking care of the kids in that way during rehab? I've been impressed with how many of my colleagues have reached out either by the telemedicine appointments, making phone calls, sending emails trying to connect with kids, trying to give them a program, trying to progress them with their program, getting feedback. So efforts are being made. I don't think there's any kid out there who should feel like they're on an island or Mm -hmm. isolated from their medical team. Yes, they may not be able to have the hands-on, and that's a big issue. But there are other ways to make things work so they should be able to progress 
and be able to communicate so that way they are getting closer to their goal of getting better. We have kids who are coming off surgeries, and there are some physical therapists and some other rehab specialists who are in office, and they're doing a great job of limiting patient access, screening patients, washing their hands, keeping their facility clean, so that way they can provide care and minimize the risk. So the options are out there, and again, I'm just really pleased with seeing how people are trying to be creative at the same time keeping patient safety first priority. Yeah, and, and let's kind of flip the switch now to something you were leaning toward about the baking and just doing some things to keep the mind tight because Trish and I have been uh, working with you know national media. We have a company out there, Vita Health, that has teletherapy, you know, teletalk therapy, uh, we're calling it. And I just wanted to talk a little bit about that for young men that um, may be, and uh, you know, you've got kids obviously in high school sports from all walks, right? From from people that are well off and you don't have to worry to broken families to maybe some that don't even have parents. Talk a little bit about the mental aspect, because I think the news media isn't doing a great job. They talk about the stress. They talk about what we're going through, but they don't really dive into it, right? It, it's, it's sort of like a, a sidebar line that they're talking about. What are some things that kids should be looking out for as far as depression or, or whatever it may be that, that can affect their overall health beyond sports? Well, I'm glad you brought that up, Jeff, because I think now as we're going into week five, week six of this social isolation, we're starting to see more effects of kids who are truly uncomfortable in their situation. Maybe their home life's a bit disjointed. Maybe they really don't have a stable home life. We assume every kid's got access to the Internet. Maybe that's not the case. Maybe even with those amenities, they're just in a position where they can't communicate. They've already expended all of their emotional energy that they feel they've got. And if they're starting to feel like it's hard to get out of bed, the dark days seem to get dark. They start having the negative thoughts of wanting to hurt themselves or somebody else. We need to hear about that. And that's where reach out to your coach, reach out to a, a teacher, reach out to a friend. Let somebody know. There's no embarrassment. There is no feeling like you're weak or you're letting anybody down. I'll tell you what, you'll let somebody down if you don't make that call. You don't make that reach for help. So it's always an issue when we're working with young people, but in these days and ages, we need to hear about it. So there should be no hesitation. Something's not right. You got a buddy who's just suddenly falling off. You're not mm-hmm. getting much feedback. You're worried. Let somebody know. Yeah, no, I, I and I wish it would be talked about a little bit more than it is right now because uh, we don't know the number of people that are going to end up with the coronavirus, but we do know that everyone will be affected in some way, whether it's small or large. So I think that's great advice. Dr. Chris Couture's is on the line, and we reached out to uh, the Twitter sphere, if you will, uh, to get some questions for uh, Dr. Couture's and uh, my good friend Jason Strunk, who's always worried about kids. I mean, this, this guy has been coaching for a quarter of a century and has taken kids and, and told me stories stories about kids from the, the, the lower side of that rung and, and what he's done. And I, I think, you know, his question's a real good one here when it comes to, to football itself and do we get back, you know. And the question is this, uh, do we know enough about how it is transmitted being COVID-19 from person to person? If fans aren't allowed to watch a stadium, how are contact sports safe? If social distancing's pra- distancing practices are still in play, how can we have contact sports be safe? Great question. I think, you know, we have to be realizing we're not 100% sure how it's transmitted or how long it stays on a surface. So 
I think until we feel comfortable with allowing people to not have to social distance, having contact, collision, or equipment sharing sports like a basketball or volleyball are going to be a challenge because you could argue, is there a chance that the athlete who licks his hands as he's dribbling the basketball and then pass it off to a teammate, could that be a medium of transmission? Or a bunch of kids even in a huddle at halftime to talk about something, could that close proximity be an issue? So it's going to be a challenge to go from six feet between individuals to being in a huddle again and being in a contact collision sport. So we're going to probably go stepwise, and that's why the initial drills might be everybody six feet apart. There'll be no contact. It'll be mostly individual-type work. Uh, we'll throw in balls at some point, and then getting back to tackling dummies and actual hitting of each other is going to be further down the line. Yeah. going to hand you the mic, and now you're talking specifically to the coaches. So let's say we're back at practice, right? We, we've, we've gotten past. We're being assured by all the officials it's the right thing to do. We can do this. You're now talking to the coach. What should the coach be saying to his whatever it is, 20-man roster, 100-man roster? Because you know somewhere in there, not every kid's on the same page as being you know, scared, not scared, and all that. Is there, is there a message that you might be able to provide to coaches right now, thinking ahead toward that moment when we do get into the locker room and get ready to go out and, and practice in a new way? I would empower each of those coaches. You're in a very unique situation, and that's a situation where you know these kids. You've known these kids hopefully for a few years if they're upperclassmen. They should feel comfortable coming to you and saying, Coach, I'm not ready. Or I can't go out there because I'm still worried about what's going on at home. You know, we lost a loved one to COVID. My dad lost his job. My mom's having issues with her work. So I think first and foremost, as a coach, you're a leader for these kids. And if you're picking up any vibe that something's not right, we address that. And that is an open-door policy. No kid should be left behind or no kid should feel embarrassed or feel like they're going to lose a role on the team. So I think your first thing is to say, we're here for you. We are here to hear what you need. And if there's any doubt, we address it. Otherwise, we're going to follow what our local authorities are going to say. We're going to be meticulous with cleaning. We're going to do everything we can to minimize the risk. And if there's any doubt, we're going to pull off the gas. We may start and stop again, yeah. but we're going to be available for these kids. I, I mentioned earlier, I, I have a little bit of a problem, and so does Trish. She was really the one that pointed out about the term new normal, um, because sometimes some of what we were doing in the normal wasn't so good. Um, do you have a feeling on that term? I, I, I know you weren't prepared for that question, but I, I think she's right about this. I mean, I think we got to get to a new, not a new normal. I just think we got to have a new and, and have a set of standards that we can all look at from a standpoint of, of sports, how we coach them, how we interact with the kids, all of those things. What do you think? I think there's going to be some time for reset. You know, for example, I asked my kids at home, are you looking forward to getting back to these activities? And, oh yeah, I think we're ready. But Every athlete and every individual is going to have to come to grips. Okay, it's time to go back to dance or football. And some kids may be ready to go, jumping out the door, can't wait. Other kids might be like, you know what? I had time away and I don't miss it. And that's okay. We'll give them license to say, hey, maybe you want to put your time somewhere else. Or, you know what? It was kind of fun to have family dinner at least a couple times a week. It was kind of cool not to be going to tournaments every weekend in different states. So, the new might be where does this all fit and where do we get the positive benefit and maybe we reduce some of the overcommitment. So 
I think we're going to all take a collective step back and see what's going to work and how can we optimize sport and activity participation at the same time, maybe not to the point where some kids feel like it's so overwhelming they don't want to participate. Yeah. Talking to Chris Couture's, here here's another question um, about, and, and again, this is not a media question, but uh, I know when I'm watching the media, the, the story's being told, you know, there's sometimes I go like, woo, I got to watch Seinfeld. And by the way, I do go watch Seinfeld. My question is this, when it comes to being a parent and having kids in the room, and we're all, right, we're all in the house right now, other than if we get to go outside a little bit, but um, what's your thought on uh, how much is too much uh, for kids to be watching the news specifically? And I'm talking, you know, student athletes that are, whether, you know, kids that are, you know, eight, nine years old, right up through the, the high school age kids? Well, I know it's interesting. In my house, when I get home, the TV goes off because I just personally feel like I get overwhelmed watching this type of stuff. So I've tried to teach my kids that with all due respect to what you do, which is very positive in the media, a lot of folks, the more emotionally it gets, it gets more attention. So we may be getting information that's bound to get the headlines and get more clicks and get more eyeballs. Uh, I think as we play this out, we'd like to think there's going to be this amazing development. Tomorrow we're going to hear that we've changed our thoughts and we're going to open up everybody's door. I think it's going to be more gradual. So to watch the news, to get overwhelmed every day, if you leave it with a sense of foreboding and doom and it's taking time away from other things, that's too much. Yeah. So I think, you know, the filter should be, are we getting enough practical information that's going to help us where our feet are every day? You know, when people say, how do you decipher all this? How do you, you know, keep your head? Well, where are my feet? My feet are on the ground right now because I'm talking to you. That's my most important focus right here, right now. Good. That's how I think kids should be looking at it. Yeah, good advice, and I think parents need to look at it the same way. Uh, Dr. Chris Couture's is on the line, and uh, one of the things I love about him when we first became friends is that uh, you got a little journalism in your background there. Uh, I can't remember. I know we talked about this. Like, were you a sports writer? We'll call you a sports journalist. So, so I was a sports writer for the UCLA Daily Bruin back in the late 1980s. There you go. So you so you know what I do on this side, and that's why we get along so well. And by the way, it's also why you do such a great job with answering questions but and again not 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 ripping the media here i just want to say as as one of the uh, the journalism brethren um what have you seen and we're just going to st- stick to sports i'm not going to go too deep into, into anything else but what do you think is being covered well maybe misinformation and 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 what could be done better is that is that fair to put three things on your shoulders I, I think in the sports world, initially there was this big push for how quick can we get back. And then I think the realization hit, look, this is not going to be a sprint. It's going to be more of a marathon. And now we're seeing a much more measured approach to what standards, just like you've asked me, what do we have to look at? So I think people are taking the tact that we want to do this the right way. Yes, we want to see our sports back. It's definitely a huge entertainment. It's huge for economic purposes. But I think the push has gone from let's get back ASAP to let's do this the right way. And I think that's been a positive thing that I've seen. I think the coverage of individuals who've been afflicted with it, and initially it was, you know, how the high-level athletes and, you know, why are they getting tested when I can't even get my patients tested – even that attention has gone to more of, yeah, why 
aren't regular people getting tested? How much is affecting the high school kid? How much is affecting the college kids? So I think we're seeing more of a real-world view than only affecting the high-level athlete. Dr. Chris Couture is on the line. Another question here from Twitter from uh, my good friend in Southern California. I guess all my good friends wrote your questions, uh, but uh, neither here nor there of who wrote them, but they're good questions. And I didn't even know about this one. Uh, He said, can you tell us more about, quote unquote, herd immunity and how that could play a part in returning to life as, quote unquote, normal? Herd immunity is when enough people in a given group or population have been exposed or protected to a disease that the risk of passing it on becomes much lower. And if you look at other diseases, we're still learning about COVID-19, but some will say it's 60 to 70% at minimum, sometimes as high as 95% of people have to be protected. Either they've had it or they've received a vaccine for it, you get to that level, the risk of people passing it from one to the next is much, much lower. So basically, you live off everybody else helping protect you. Once you get to those levels, the chance of you going to a large group activity and picking it up is infinitesimally smaller than if there's not that herd immunity. So just like we're all staying at home right now to protect those at highest risk, and we're all in this together, Eventually, that herd immunity will put us in that same communal group to help each other out. Got it. Knew you'd have the answer to that. Dr. Chris Gutierrez is on the line. One more question here from the Twitter sphere. Uh, Coach Brian Weichel, he's out of uh, Ohio. Uh, he said, obviously, state athletic associations are aiming to protect uh, people. Is there a concern at the tr- transmission of the coronavirus from the athlete uh, during competition, or is the issue with the fans in close proximity? He says, I know in Korea, for example, the KBO is planning on returning to the field soon with many players wearing masks during competition. Is this a feasible tactic for all sports, or is baseball in a unique position since the players are already distanced by the nature of the game? That's interesting, and I did read some articles that do look with exception to maybe the batter and the catcher or first baseman and a base runner, yes, there's social distancing by the virtue of the sport. And, you know, it's a small ball that's shared. Otherwise, there's not much close contact. You do worry about both the players on the field and the people in the stands. Uh, It's interesting when you look at young people under, gosh, 14 to 18, we're just not seeing that many sick kids, thank God. Mm -hmm. The issue, though, is that sick or the kid who's not sick but has potentially exposed the virus goes and pass it on to you or me who are a little bit older, that's where the risk begins. So it is a concern both from those on the field to those in the stands, and that's why you may be hearing proposals of we won't have fans come to the games. Mm-hmm. It just reduces the number of people in one spot and also reduces those at higher risk, those of us who are above 40, especially those of us above 65, those of us who might have health issues. So the less people who are at risk are available at the venue, the less chance of it passing it on. So that's why you hear proposals of, hey, maybe we're going to bring sport back, but without that many spectators. That may, boy, you're making so much sense, Chris. Thank you for coming on here, and I mean that. Uh, Dr. Good Couture, day. Yeah. <laughs> Dr. Chris Couture's is on the line, and th- this one's a little hypothetical, and this is from me, and I again, as I hear you talk, it just kind of brings all kinds of questions into my mind. So, you know, I've heard, and again, we're, we all are at the mercy of, of you know, uh, the, the latest news is old one second after it comes out, but, you know, there's been talk that, well, the summer is going to tamp it down. Uh, come the fall, it is 
it, it may come back. So my question is this, if you're a trainer, let's just say, and, and you're listening or a, a team physician like you are there in Southern California, and you, you kind of start hearing rumblings around the country, the news is saying they've seen this and they've seen that, what should you be looking for as that trainer, that physician, as, as the, the man in charge of the health of the team, and, and then pass that on to the coaches? If you have a young man, and let's say we're back on the field, and all of a sudden somebody has a bad cough or it has something that's flu-like, I mean, how, how would you you know guard against the spread of that and, and take a very proactive stance? And again, I know it's very hypothetical, but I'm just curious how you might explain that to a coach out there or a trainer. You know, it's going to be a challenge. I think we all do this if we wake up and we have a bit of a cough as we get out of bed or we feel a little bit achy. Oh, gosh, do I have it? Do mm-hmm. I not? You move around. Okay, what do I think? Okay, good. We're probably going to be really cautious as a society. I mean, we're probably going to have kids say, I can't come to practice today, coach. I've got a cough. I know as some of the foreign sports have started to come back, they're doing things like temperature checks before you hit the stadium. Anybody with a higher temperature stays home. On the field, somebody gets a cough, everybody leaves, and then we do rapid testing. If rapid testing becomes more available, that could be another venue. Okay, we've got a kid who's maybe not feeling great. He or she got rapidly tested negative. Okay, back to reality, back to the usual activity. So it's going to be tough. Absent quick testing, absent other ways to check, it's going to be a challenge because you don't want to err and miss something. So it could be a real uh, idea too of what's in our neighborhood. Are we in a low prevalence neighborhood right now? Are we starting to see an uptick? Those are all going to be tough things we're going to have to check. So there's going to be uh, fits and spurts. We'll get a little bit forward. We may have to take a step back. Uh, it's just going to be a fascinating process. Yeah, I mean, I've gone as far as what you were saying that, going, okay, water bottles. Does everybody have an individual water bottle on the football That's team, funny. right? <laughs> you know, are you going to, when you go out onto the field, right, when hydration is so, so important, you don't yep. have the the, the, the the girls there or the guys, you know, the managers squirting water bottles and everybody. I mean, it's... It, I mean, it just keeps, you can go on and on and on and on. There's no two ways about that. Um, Dr. Chris Couture is on the line, and um, I mentioned at the top, you know, he's very involved in, in high school athletics, and then it goes all the way up to the, the United States, you know, volleyball team, and, and um, you know, also at the collegiate level. And I, I just wanted to kind of open the mic up here to you, because one of the things that you do so well, and I'm not saying this because you're my friend, but you, you're very active on social media with, you know, your active kid MD and all that. And I'd like to give you a little bit of time here at the end to kind of talk about your philosophy on kind of being the, the the doctor in the modern age of, you know, you're not just that guy that, you know, everybody's been seeing for the last 40 years in the family, right? What's your approach to that? And what are some of the things that you do on social media that people can take part in and understand and maybe educate themselves and become a smarter person when it comes specifically to their student athletes? Well, I really think what we try to do is partner with families, partner with athletes, partner with folks. We like to be the team behind the team. And the more that people feel like they can ask questions and we can teach, we're doing our job. And by no means do I do this job by myself. I am so proud of the colleagues I have, both here in my office and my staff, to the athletic trainers I work with, other team physicians, the coaches, the athletes. Nothing makes me more excited when I go through an athlete and I'm able to communicate with his or her athletic trainer and the coach and the parent, all with permission, of course, and everybody seems to be on the same page. The questions are 
are answered, and there's a sense of comfort that as a team, we're moving forward to help this kid out. So my job, I guess I'll use the football terminology, maybe I'm the quarterback, and I'm trying to get the ball to the right person, but I'm also aware that I'm but one piece of this big cog. If my linemen aren't doing the job, we ain't going to move forward. So mm-hmm. if we can educate, we can partner, we can bring ideas, and we can do it in a team approach, I've done my job. He does a great job, trust me, and I uh, just really appreciate uh, your your friendship, which has uh, grown through the years. And uh, I will, uh, on the story that we have up on High School Football America, put up all the links to uh, Dr. Castor's uh, site and all of his social media. He does a great job. And I mean, you know, knowledge is power, folks. And, and right now, I, I guess that's maybe the way we close it out. Uh, I, there's probably no such thing as too much knowledge at this point, although watching the TV for hours on end is probably not good. But is that a good way to close this out, that you know, knowledge is power, and you should be listening to people like yourself that uh, that are kind of at, at the forefront of everything that's going on. Or, or am I putting too much on the shoulders of of the medical profession? You know, I think people who will admit what they know and don't know those are the folks you want to listen to. If somebody said they've got all the answers, good luck on that one. So, <laughs> I think if we can come up with our best guess, our best estimate, or how we're going to base things, that's important. So. We're in this together. We're learning together. And Jeff, just thank you so much for this opportunity to share and to be part of your wonderful program. Well, thank you for joining us, Chris. And again, uh, you know, stay safe, stay healthy. That's to uh, you, your family, and your extended family. And I look forward to having you back on here uh, under, under some better conditions, just talking about hydration and, and what to do to, to, to fix injuries and all that. But uh, for now, this is very much news you can use, so I appreciate that. Well, thanks, Jeff. Best to you and Trish. Both of you stay healthy and keep doing the good work. You can keep up with all the high school football news from around the nation by tuning in on our social media platforms. Uh, And, of course, highschoolfootballamerica.com is where all the platforms lead you to. Uh, Our handle on Twitter is HSFBAmerica. On Facebook, it's facebook.com forward slash highschoolfootballamerica. On Instagram, our handle is also highschoolfootballamerica. And uh, we're also on LinkedIn, same handle, and also on Pinterest. Lots of ways to keep up with what we're doing. And don't forget, you can subscribe to the High School Football America podcast by going on Apple Podcast. The High School Football America podcast is brought to you by GameStrat America's premier sideline instant replay system with outstanding customer service and different plans priced right for every coach's budget. To get a demo, go to GameStrat.com or click on the GameStrat banner ad located on every page of HighSchoolFootballAmerica.com. I'm Jeff Fisher saying stay safe and stay healthy, America. You've been listening to the High School Football America podcast.